I found the writing beautiful, but the story false-hearted and burdened by bathos. When I spoke of the novel, however, it was a former sentiment I expressed, never latter. If that isn't the most respectful cuss <laughs> I have ever read, I do not know what is. I read it. I thought this ain't ish, but I'm going to let you rock, though, <laughs> is the translation. Boo-boo. Yeah. <laughs> Back Pond Studio. Three plus one in a box. Black man in a box. How are you, Angelo? Oh, is that my, is that is that my <laughs> leading? Wow. No, I'm good. Uh, healthy, happy, uh, ready to, as always, chop it up. Clean shaven, I see as well. No, yeah, just uh, kind of. I've got some. I've got some parts coming up, and just trying to like see how I'm going to look. The thing is, the beard can hide an extra half a stone, so it's like good to chop it off and see how much weight you need to actually lose. So, what role would it have to be for you to lose the lid? <laughs> would it have to be like, like I've got you four years HBO thing? Are you like you'd have to? You'd need a couple of seasons, wouldn't you? Uh, l- let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> We've touched a nerve. I respect it. In the room, Alana. Hello. You good? I am good. I'm good. I was telling Dom earlier though that I'm so tired, <laughs> like, like deliriously tired. I think I'm just gonna. We'll see what comes out of my mouth. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought cycling on a bike before work many times, and then after work, and then going to work would have would have led to this situation? Yeah. Who would have thought that? And. Who would have thought that being malnourished and endlessly cycling would lead to panic attacks and delirium? <laughs> We're here for you. <laughs> no, I am good, though. I'm good. Just a little loopy. Yeah. Sign up to the class. She's definitely not punishing. Uh, <laughs> the not tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's mad. It's mad. Don't do the mornings. Dom, you good? Yeah, man. I'm all right. I'm all right. Not a lot to, uh, not a lot to, um, to talk about. Life's good. We're into the autumn now. It's my season. So, yeah, man. I can't complain. It's uh, right. It's uh, for layering, gang. Exactly that. Exactly that. You know it is. That camel coat's about to come out. Oh, that. <laughs> that. They are not ready for this. <laughs> you do not know. <laughs> when the when honestly, when the camels and furs come out, you man just stay home. They're already out. <laughs> stay home. It's long for the rest of London. It's mad for all. <laughs> you. Every other man in London has got that same coat, but it's still long. Yeah, not quite the same, though, is it? Uh-uh. Not quite the same. Doesn't sit. Doesn't quite sit right. Doesn't quite sit right on there. I'm not used to you gassing me up like this one. I feel good right, <laughs> right. now. And how are you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 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 good. It's been it's been a long it's been it's been a long week or two weeks or so. Done a couple of bits and pieces of work. Just glad handing with clients and that. But yeah. Happy to be back in the box. We're going to talk cancel culture. It is obscene. Basically, the basis of this talk is an uh, an essay by author Shimamanda Adichie. And she wrote an article so blistering, it cancelled the author's own website when it landed on Tuesday, June 15th. And I mean, cancel culture, it's a funny old subject. If you've anyone who's got a, a, a podcast, anyone who writes articles, anyone who blogs, there's going to come a point where you're like, I need to write about this. And it's one of those where 
we've wanted to talk about it for a while, but you just know the topic's going to come back around before long. So if it doesn't fit, like you don't want to crowbar the thing in there. I guess, first of all, I want to ask each of you individually, starting with Dom, when I say cancel culture, like what do you, what do you take that to mean? Strictly speaking, I don't think anyone's ever cancelled. We, given that we're all quite active on social media, we take the reach and the influences of, of social media as deeper than they actually are. So there's all kind of people that have been cancelled, some rightfully so, but it's only really in, in the kind of media that we consume. We all know that aunties still listen to R. Kelly, and that's all I can really say about cancel culture. For certain demographics, some people I do think, and it's in the essay that we're going to talk about, they feel like they have to cancel people as some form of, of virtue signalling. It's to make themselves appear to be holier than now, that kind of thing. But for me, I, I take it all with a pinch of salt. I think far too many times you see people being cancelled for things that shouldn't really be shouldn't really be cancelable. It's just a case of I have this specific moral which you aren't you aren't living up to right now. So you got to get the hell out of here. And I I think it's boring. It's absolutely boring. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, the culture part of the statement is kind of ironic because I always thought of canceling someone as being quite personal. And maybe that's kind of what you were trying to say, Dom, is like, I never, <laughs> I don't think that people can really be canceled per se. I think sometimes like, you know, you're either hot or you're not. And that's just because we have this term for it now, cancel culture doesn't mean that it makes it any different. It's like people's, um, I don't know, celebrity or public praise that ebbs and flows. It always has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the idea of canceling to me has always been like, okay, if somebody is, you know, fucked up one too many times in the same way, I make the choice of, you know, I don't really, I don't really mess with that person anymore, but you know, what are you going to do? Like this whole idea of like, oh, let's cancel, cancel culture. It's like, you can't (laughs) tell me who I fuck with and who I don't. It's just ridiculous. I find it kind of mad. I see that there are companies now that I think are genuinely using it as a marketing tool. If we look at the baby recently completely disagree with everything that he was saying but the amount of companies that jumped on the bandwagon that, that were that were saying things about him talking down his name and that kind of thing i genuinely think they were doing it as a marketing tool and the people that were in charge of those companies didn't really give a fuck about what he said it's just like oh our competitors have said this we also need to cancel this person so i think a lot of it is also used as a tool something we will get to jello um i think it's such a massive topic and there's a number of different ways to look at it i think as it's generally understood cancel culture is i think understood by the majority as something that originates from predominantly young people predominantly left-leaning people as a way to uh, try and stop people for whom they have disagreements with proceeding economically i think that's what people understand it as um if you look at you know, people who kind of complain loudest about it, people like Lawrence Fox, um, they talk about not receiving opportunities, but then it obviously becomes their brand. And it's amazing the number of people who kind of say that uh, cancel culture is killing them and kind of appearing on the biggest newspapers, on the biggest television platforms. But I also do think that it has a a more interesting application when applied to gender. So something that I've been thinking a lot about is male mental health, and in particular, um, black male mental health, 
And the thing is, I spend a lot of my time uh, around younger people, university age students. I obviously went back and did my master's in 2018. I've still kind of um, kept in contact with a lot of those people. Um, I coach university basketball teams. And it is just incredibly common to hear um, phrases like, you know, men are cancelled, just in general, just as a just as a big statement. And I kind of all I kind of understand why that is. Um, you know, if you look at things like Times Up and Me Too, there was definitely a need to have a reckoning and a discussion. Obviously the views of Black in a Box have been made clear on people like R. Kelly and, and Bill Cosby. And I think in the abstract, in the wider sense, that's been a very good thing. I wonder, well, I believe that it's had um, quite a negative impact on those that are in the middle, um, those that consider themselves just normal guys, where it's like, I can recognise that men as a collective have been very trash, but because I'm not, I think there's this feeling that because I'm not being given a chance, I'm then going to go and seek where I am being given a chance. And that's where you see it being, that's where you see the rise of people like Jordan Peterson and those that would kind of say, you're not the problem, which is the way to draw people in. It's the problem with people. I think a lot of people like that is where they then say that the problem lies and that creates other issues. The reason I did that was basically to show the breadth of the debate and I think like it, it as anyone who's spent any amount of time online I think it's safe to say we all spend far too much time online mm-hmm. um, to, to to a man and woman and it, it also shows that in, in, in many ways sort of the the potential of, of an almost all-encompassing excuse that uh, the, the argument cancel culture can can become now, the essay in question, which is sort of the base of this debate by Nigerian writer Chimamanda Adichie, gives us the entry point that we're going to use as we talk, we've one talk for about for a while. And it gives us, it's it's a really sort of fascinating entry point into a debate which is very, very hot on both sides. Now, like Dom, I think personally the cancel culture debate is, is boring. And I find it boring because of the way that people approach it. Now, you have founding contributors to this conversation my contributors people like john ronson who's written shame who's written articles about this who's long sadly since been drowned out by just noisy sort of voracious people <coughs> online looking for people to be out of there to get to get people out of that social space and you see the line between accountability and ostracism becoming almost non-existent to half the participants in the argument so how can you have a debate when half the people don't acknowledge the accepted rules of, of engagement. And that's what sort of drew me to personally to Chamanda's scathing critique as, as a point of conversation. Now, Chamanda's critique, basically, is, it's based around a, a take on social media sanctimony, based around a, a conversation that she gave. So she, for those who haven't read the article, there were two writers who attended one of her writing workshops in Lagos. She maintained this 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 sort of relationship with them, befriended them, often stayed at their, they, they stayed at her home, and she gave an interview, when in which she said a trans woman is a trans woman. And the wider conversation around that, the context was she was saying you should be able to acknowledge difference whilst being inclusive, mm-hmm. and that's that's the definition of inclusiveness. Is saying that person's different, but it it it. it 
it doesn't matter. We're still, you know, we still, it, they're, they're still valued. We still acknowledge who they are. They're still equal to us. Basically, the, the people in question were, they took that to be almost sort of a red rag to a bull and use those comments to try and sort of ruin her. And, and those articles are the premise of, of the essay. I guess I've, I've got a few sort of choice quotes from this, from this article, so you have to sort of stay with me whilst I, I read through these. And they sort of characterise the debate around council culture and they characterise often the problem with, with internet relationships and internet sort of debate and sort of the value of it. I've got one here. I cannot make much of the hostility of strangers who do not know me. Fame taints our view of the humanity of famous people, but the truth of that is that the famous person remains irretrievably human. Fame does not inoculate the famous person from disappointment and depression. Fame does not make you any less angered or hurt by the duplicitous natures of people. And she'd read the novel of one of the people who had criticised her and helped that person sort of get coverage and get attention and only to then be accused of trying to ruin that person's name. Before the novel was published, I spoke of it to some people to help it get attention. I had not been able to finish reading it. I found the writing beautiful, but the story false-hearted and burdened by bathos. When I spoke of the novel, however, it was a former sentiment I expressed, never latter. If that isn't the most respectful cuss <laughs> I have ever read, I do not know what is. I read it. I thought, this ain't shit, but I'm going to let you rock, though. <laughs> is a translation. Boo-boo. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness, mate. And this is a bit of a long one to finish, and I, but I think this is, this is an important one. In certain, young people at least do today from my writing workshop, I notice what I find increasingly troubling. A cold-blooded grasp grasping, a hunter to take and take and take but never give, a massive sense of entitlement, an inability to show gratitude, an ease with dishonesty and pretension and selfishness that is couched in the language of self-care, an expectation always to be helped and rewarded no matter whether deserving or not, language that is slick and sleek but with little emotional intelligence, an astonishing level of self-absorption, an unrealistic expectation of puritanism from others, an overinstated sense of ability or of talent where there is any at all, an inability to apologize truly and fully without justifications, a passionate performance of virtue that is well executed in the public space of Twitter but not in the intimate space of friendship. I find it obscene. And yeah, I, I guess that is the jump off point because yeah, you know, I, I looked, I looked around my feed, and I personally looked around at myself. And I was like, I think I've not been, I've not been guilty of that. But a lot of people I follow, and I think you find this when people find themselves educated, people find themselves raging against a world which is increasingly against uh, the weak, against the quality, against minorities. I think it is very easy for people to develop this sense of like, well, you are either with me, and if I sense any kind of situation where you are not with me, or where you are not buying into what I say, or where you are coming from a different angle, it's long for you. Oh. And I think we see this a lot, and I think this is a problem. We've spoken so many times, I think you're huge on this, Dom, it's like the binary nature and the lack of empathy. And I think this, that is at the heart of, of, of this sort of article and, and the experience Jim Amanda's gone through. And yeah, I, well, I guess ultimately I want to find out if there's a way that we can get past that. But 
yeah, I just I guess I'd like to open up to to what your guys' interpretation of this sort of uh, essay was. I think the the real takeaway that I took from it was actually from the last paragraph where Chimamanda was talking about young people and the way that they equip themselves online. And it's typically online, I think. The majority of this takes place in an online forum rather than than day-to-day in front of people because you can have completely different personas in those two different spaces. And she says, the assumption of good faith is dead. What matters is not goodness, but the appearance of goodness. We are no longer human beings. We are now angels jostling to out-angel one another. And that's all I think it is. You've you've kind of honed this this social media persona. And because that in some places is a stronger currency than the person that you are on a day-to-day basis, especially with people working from home as well now, yeah. when you're not getting as much face time, it's kind of like, well, this persona that I built for myself online is the one by which people are going to judge me. So if there is a person that has said something which could be perceived as being unsavory by a, a large segment of um, society... I'm going to have to jump on the back of that and say this person's cancelled. And I just, I do, like I say, it's it's boring to me now because I think the latest person that we've all seen being cancelled is Nicki Minaj because of mm. uh, mad comments about her cousin's <laughs> friend's blacks. <laughs> and as mad as it is, you know that when she drops a new track, uh, album, sorry, the album sales, the track, they're going to do as well as they were going to do anyway. And all it's effectively done is increase publicity for her because Boris Johnson was talking about Nicki Minaj, for fuck's sake. So these things, I, I genuinely think a lot of the time they're here today, gone tomorrow, and it just bores me now. It's like, it's it's just, it's like Coronation Street for young people. That's all it is. But what's really interesting, I think about, like, even when you do try to pull away from that and you try to be um, more in the background and you don't really engage, then if people, if you're somebody who is celebrated or who is quite a public figure, then you're noticed for not engaging in the conversation. Like how many people came out about uh, Kendrick Lamar during the lockdown saying, why didn't he come out with any music? Why hasn't he made any statements and this, that, and the other. And, you know, Dom and I, all of us as big Kendrick fans, and we kind of have developed this expectation for him to have some sort of comment, whether it's through music or publicly about, you know, about what's going on, especially in the black community. And so to not have those words, it caused us in the beginning to be like, what the fuck, man? Like, where are you? Why aren't you saying anything? Mm. So it's like we create this judgment even when you're not visible because now we just have this expectation for everybody's lives and opinions to play out online. Yeah. I'm, I mean, just, well, there's so much here to unpack. I think, so the first thing that I did um, when uh, we kind of were discussing this is I went back and had a... Um, read of the response of one of the people that was clearly in um, Adichie's uh, crosshairs when um, she wrote the article, a um, person named um, Olatumahin Kokoyi. And I found their response a lot more, I don't want to say believable, but a lot more coherent. I think one of the things that is important and one of the things that we have always strived for on this podcast is to be able to say, look, we are able to walk and chew gum at the same time. It is possible, like we want to break binaries. It's possible for people to be right on some things and wrong on some other things. And when I was reading uh, this, the response, there was one bit that really kind of stood out uh, um, to me. 
and it's this bit here. It says, Enemies Barrera Dici wrote last year, the worst has happened, my madness will now bear itself. But I am not and have never been her enemy. This is um, from the, the, the writer. What I attempted and failed at was to love her beyond unquestioning loyalty, empty sycophancy or the power and fame of celebrity. And I'm perfectly fine with having failed. I love myself and my community more than anyone who would, using her adroitness with language, make this already violent world even harder for us to survive in. Adichie is one of the best rhetoricians of our age. I have no doubt about that. I also have no doubt that she was uh, sincerely trying to uh, do good. But sincerely trying to do good, there is a difference between impact and intent. Her intent was to try and do good, but listening to this person who doesn't say that they speak for the queer community, but says that they speak for themselves and has had other members of the queer community speak about the impact of Adichie's words, it's quite clear that whilst her intent might have been to help, um, the impact has been actually the opposite of that. I just find it very, very difficult using the Adichie essay as the, or, or in any way labelling Adichie as A, some kind of uh, victim in in all of this, of, of cancel culture, because she's not. She has um, had more... Um, I did like just a little Google, um, you know, you can look at the trends and see how they're doing. And um, it put more searches on her name. She has appeared on just as many and more varied talk shows. Um, she's been praised by people from who would label themselves to the right of the political um, spectrum and to the left. Um, it hasn't in any way harmed her, but it has led to and this isn't I'm not saying this is Adichie's fault because again we can walk and chew gum but it has led to pile-ons for some trans women and some uh, people in the queer community and the title of of the response was called Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie doesn't get to define me and I think that is so so important um I think one of the important things about being able to walk and chew gum is we have to stop saying this person is right and this person is wrong um it's quite clear that there are feelings on both sides it's quite clear that there was some uh, relationship here and that relationship has turned the problem is is if any of us fall out and it turns and we speak to our friends it doesn't then become twitter discourse or social media discourse but what i would say is that um you have to be aware if you're in a power position that when you write something like chimamanda adiche's um response you even if you're redacting names people are smart enough to work out exactly who you're talking about and there was another um line and i'll leave it on this it said when i eventually read the essay i realized what i had missed a burial with everything but my name in the order of service because remember how we introduced this this it, dan you said it was this blistering response to cancel culture and what i think it's important to remember is that it had a target Whilst it may not have been named, it was quite clear for anybody that had been following her story, and as a, as a, as a famous person, people have been following her story, that there were uh, people that were at the end of that. And it's very sad to me that um, whilst I don't doubt her intent to be uh, an ally to uh, the queer community, um, at the end of that target was uh, somebody in the queer community who... Uh, did suffer a pile-on. So I think there is a lot to unpack there, but I think it's so important to recognise that, you know, you can have the best intention in the world, but your impact can still be devastating.
I, say, I, I, I think that's a fair comment. And this is a difficulty because these things are always going to be to your side. And you can't ever say, if you get to a point where you're saying like, we can't ever have this conversation, that's ultimately going to be more damaging than, than anything. If, if, I, if, if there can be never be any discourse around these topics, and if like there's going to be these situations where people who are allies, people who are friends fall out, I think it's ultimately going to do more harm than good in these situations. Yeah, there was also another person on the other side of it, but has the person, had the two people involved in the discourse not got a right, like is the person not got a right to reply ever? Oh, oh sorry. Is that, is that what we're saying? I was going to say, I'm, I'm not saying that. I think one of the, I think there's a really important addendum that needs to be made in the world that we're saying, which is um, debates are fine as long as they are happening in good faith on both sides. Because, you know, we know that there are so many people now that are making a living out of seeming to kind of just, I just want to have a debate. I just want to embrace debate. And it's like, but you're not embracing debate in good faith. Um, and I'm not saying that either sides of this have done that, but I think it is important to recognise that um, we ha we do now live in a world where people are kind of saying, well, you know, what, you know, why? I'll give you a classic example. I'll give you a great example. Um, the policing bill that the Tory government are trying to push through um, is saying uh, is justifying police spending uh, more time um, investigating people of colour, even though all of the um, evidence shows that people of colour are less likely to be guilty of the things that they're stopped and searched for. Now, it's very easy to go, well, but more more people of colour proportionally are um, in prison and are being arrested. And it's like, well, yes, because you're focusing on it. But if you're not having that discussion in good faith, all you're doing is creating trauma for one person that is arguing in good faith. So Dan, whilst I hear what you're saying, I think it is so important to add that good faith article. And I will just repeat what I said as to to the other point that you made, which is sometimes you you, you have to just hold your tongue um, because you, there is a power dynamic. There is a power dynamic. If I have an argument with a kid at school, it doesn't matter what they say about me because I have so much more power that I can bring to bear. And there, there has to be a point where I go, do you know what, I have to be the person that shuts this down. And I know that the, the teacher-pupil uh, dynamic isn't the same here, but actually, if you read the article, um, it's clear that that's exactly what it reads like. And that's fair. I, but I, I mean, I will, basically, I, I, I always live by the fact that you can never, ever be annoyed at someone for how they react for something that you You've do done, to them. Yeah. And that's the that is the instance that we find you in. So I'm sorry. It, it, this is just me. Like, I'm sorry. I like, agree. If you do something to me, if you like in this particular instance, uh, calling me a transphobe for something like something I said, like just I mean, you can let that go. Let if 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 I'm as big as you say in this particular instance, and I'm out there, let the people say what they want. But if you are out there actively campaigning that I'm that, I'm sorry. I, it's like we say about freedom of speech. It's not a freedom of consequence. It's very <laughs> difficult for me to just let that go. Like yeah. it, I've said the thing. I've said the thing. So the people will decide. The people will decide what, whether that is or not, and then I can answer to that. But if you then have someone of, of some kind of small profile, but out there actively campaigning that I'm this thing for words I've said, like the, if it's out there, the people will decide it. I um, unfortunately, in, I'm of the personally of the of the opinion that like you've then opened yourself up to that sort of particular situation. It's difficult. I think we're, like people are going to disagree on that. Like, like that's that's fair enough. And I also agree like where you're in an instance that the followings are massively different. Yeah, it is unfair, but they're still just normal people. She's a writer. They're just writers. 
That's the thing. They're just humans. Well, like I'm, this is yeah. all this is all an argument about can we just let people be human? <laughs> like yeah. can we on both sides? Like can we let people be offended about things they're going to be offended by because ultimately we have no control over how somebody responds to something whether we think it's correct or not. We have no control about whether our words are going to offend people. Like we can use our best educated guesses. We could try to be intentional with our words, but you never know how they're going to land, how they're going to be interpretive, uh, interpreted based on who the person is, the time of day, the context, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, to me, this cancel culture thing comes back to just, can we let people be people? People are going to make mistakes. People are going to interpret things. It is, you know, it's human to err. It's human to have good intentions that don't go the way you plan. It's also human to be triggered by something that maybe wasn't meant to trigger you. Like on both sides of the coin, can we just hold space for people to be humans, which are just naturally flawed anyway? Yeah, you see, I think that is pretty much one of the bigger things that I got from the whole article and the, and the back and forth between the two is if I've got a friend who's messed up or said something that I don't agree with, I would like to think that, and vice versa as well, I would like to think that my friends, or if it was me, would be able to have a solid enough relationship to have a conversation. And I think if you are a public persona, I am looking at it from a human point of view. So Chimamanda and the writer in this instance, why can you not just have a conversation? For me, the second that goes online rather than being a conversation, you're opening yourself up even more because you clearly don't want to help that person grow. You clearly don't want to understand where that thought mm. came from. This is now just something for me to get a bit of clout from. Oh, I know this person, and now I'm saying this about that person. For me, there is nothing, nothing that is personal about this, aside from the fact that you're trying to get one up on someone based on their profile. I didn't like it at all. Have a conversation. If that conversation doesn't go the way that you want to, then maybe go online. But the first thing that you need to do is have that conversation. We are all humans, and I think with the fact that social media is as prevalent as it is now, we're forgetting how to be humans. We're forgetting how important com communication is with one another. We seem to think that these people that follow us are our actual circle, that they are our actual friends, when they don't mean anything. Because the second you get cancelled, those followers are, all, followers are all going. So when I see things like this, it's like this whole debacle could have been avoided with just one conversation. But how many people too, uh, are even too scared to make a phone call nowadays? Mm. Like if I <laughs> look at my little brother's era, uh, little brother's generation, for instance, he's 20 years old, hate speaking on the phone. Like we don't know how to communicate with one another anymore, so it's, let's just go to our fake friends online. And then it creates so much more issues than there need to be. And I think that's why these kind of things annoy me so much. It's like it could have all been avoided. Yeah. Um, yeah. First of all, completely agree with the, uh, a large phrase of what you were saying there, Dom, especially around um, the inability to communicate. Um, that's just so patently obvious, but also needs to be said. I don't, I don't want to sound like I was like, like slyly doing anything there. I think that's such a great point. I think where I hear I, what you said, Dan, about if somebody says something about me, you don't kind of get to choose how I choose to respond. I remember, I think it was in 2017, uh, Adichie kind of, there was this very popular clip where Adichie um, excoriated this, I think it was a white man, and, and said the, the line that kind of went very famous was, you don't get to define what racism is. You as a white man don't get to define what racism is. I completely understand uh, being angry, upset, pissed off, 
uh, being accused of transphobia. I completely do understand uh, and how that must feel. But I wonder if the same principle that she so brilliantly espoused when it came to race is also there when it comes to transphobia. Now, again, walking and chewing gum. In the same way that I have said on this podcast, in articles before, that black isn't at the top of my identity markers, but I call myself black almost as a symbol of safety. Uh, You know, I make this joke that there is no country called black, but, you know, sometimes I just need, I need somebody to start the GoFundMe. That's a joke taken from from somebody else. I think, similarly, the the statement that she made, that Chimamanda Radice made, um, I think trans women are trans women, would be more understandable in a world in which we kind of had not gone down the two gender binary. In a world in which um, all of the different communities that are around the world that did not have the two gender binary existed, where, uh, you know, so in, for example, in Italy, you had the Feminiellos, uh, you have the Nadlihis in, in some of the territories that are in modern day America, all over the world. But that's not the world that we live in. And, and so, again, I just... I, I agree with what, what you guys were saying, that it's probably it was something that could have been taken offline. But I also kind of understand from both uh, sides of this argument where, because um, Adiche said um, the reason that she asked to have her name taken off of the author's work was because the author was basically accusing her of being a murderer. And um, you would not want a murderer on to be promoting your book unless you were doing it for emotional reasons. And I think when you, fe- when you feel it at that level, it can be very difficult. We n- None of us uh, argue better when we're angry. None of us kind of make better points when our emotions are raised. Um, and that is a byproduct of living in a world where we can just throw stuff online and people from all over the world can consume it. But I do wonder if Adichie might be uh, well served to consider what she said with regards to race and considering whether it could also stand uh, when it comes to the feelings of the trans community. Yeah, I agree. For me, it's basically fuck cancel culture. If you don't want to listen to the thing, if you don't want to read the thing, if you don't want to watch the thing, don't watch it, but I don't care what anybody else thinks about that person. That's my opinion. Michaela Coel, I remember us moaning, Michaela Coel, why is she happy win no award? <laughs> <laughs> why they got why they got them after we know a word for the mate whatever eh? whatever Malawi eh? accent sounds like just start doing that one is me a destroyer <laughs> man have to lose me life she have to kill me <laughs> was the working title she may destroy you finally was rewarded <laughs> for I think I forgot what the title is but like outstanding writing writing at, yeah. at the Emmys and she dedicated it to sufferers of sexual assault, which is a huge thing. Obviously, when you think about what's been going on in Hollywood, um, yeah, it's itself a massive occasion. And you think about stuff she's she's been through personally, and the fact that she got offered a million dollars by Netflix to buy that thing, but she wasn't going to keep any rights to it, and she ploughed on. She worked with the BBC, and she's finally getting hardly flowers. To my Jamaican people, hardly flowers. Um, yeah, basically, <laughs> how do we feel about that, Alana? Yeah, I feel like it's 
It's been a long time coming. I'm actually surprised. I didn't even realize that she, well, I knew she was nominated, but I didn't realize prior to the nominations coming out that she would have been nominated because I feel like, God, I don't know if the year's just gone by so it quickly. Feels but like I it's feel, last year, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I feel like it should have been last year. Um, but um, no, I think it was amazing. And I think one of the things that I really loved about her speech was only like 50 seconds long. It's not a long speech, but she says something to the effect of, you know, in this world of visibility, which we've just been talking about, where we feel like, you know, our success is measured on how visible we are in the public eye on social media, things like that. We measure other people's success by how often we see them in the public eye. Um, that it's actually okay to disappear. Like it's okay to be offline. It's okay to not be visible. Write the tale that scares you that makes you feel uncertain, that isn't comfortable. I dare you. In a world that entices us to browse through the lives of others to help us better determine how we feel about ourselves and to, in turn, feel the need to be constantly visible. For visibility these days seems to somehow equate to success. Do not be afraid to disappear from it, from us, for a while, and see what comes to you in the silence. Thank you to Casey Bloys, Amy Gravitz, Piers Wenger, and various artists limited for two of the best years of my life. I dedicate this story to every single survivor of sexual assault. And I don't know, that just gave me really something to think about because in my own life, I, I'm naturally introverted. I like to disappear, I like solitude. But I too feel the pressures to constantly feel like, oh, if I'm not if I'm not posting online and if I'm not present, um, am I successful? Like I feel this pressure, you know, as I go on on ventures, like business ventures, creative ventures, the need and this pressure to constantly be posting and to mm. be visible, even though it doesn't necessarily feel authentic. And somehow I feel like, oh, I'm not working hard enough if I, if I'm just, if people aren't, yeah, seeing me. Yeah. Yeah, like not just you're not just experiencing those things for yourself. Like other people need to have visibility of it. Yeah, and just the irony that it's like most of life exists off of this little screen. Yeah. <laughs> like the real work, the real life. Like most of just like what we see on the screen is like ten percent of what makes if somebody that. what makes up existence. If if that, it's yeah. probably even significantly less. So yeah, I don't know. It just gave me something to think about. And I like that she related that specifically to writing, but then, and also just, just storytelling that idea of like, sometimes it's okay to disappear to find the story that needs to be told. Yeah. I, I think it was, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> it should have won. It should have won. And Dirt. I think it is a sign of how low the bar is when it comes to the lights of the Emmys and all of these other award shows that it even had to be a question whether it was going to win or not and it, and it just it made me think of the um, the Chris Rock sketch where it's like I feed my kid it's like that's what you're supposed to do what you want a cookie your low expectation ever motherfucker this was supposed to win it's a shame that it has to be big news that it won but because we've seen so many things get snubbed in the past it is big news but it was the best thing that we've all seen in the last couple of years so why shouldn't it win mm. it, it's that simple for me what you want a cookie <laughs> <laughs> um I was just interested that, again, it's uh, uh, another British talent that went to the States to get 
they, they got recognised by the States. Obviously, this was filmed in Britain. But, you know, you think of Naomi Harris, you think of um, Sophie Okaneda, you think of uh, Danzy Newton, all of these black British women that are, like, not really kind of getting what I feel like I can, like, my talent deserves or demands. I'll go to America. Now, obviously, it's slightly different with um, Michaela Coel because of... Um, her two big series have both been filmed in the UK, but it's it is interesting that uh, it's in America that um, she got her her flowers. Yeah. And it I was think after it the Globes also... moved mad. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not talking about the Golden Globes. Like, I'm just trying to attack future. Uh, yeah, man, <laughs> man's trying to protect the bag. It's okay. <laughs> fine, that's fine. I, I'll take over. I'm, we we Jello is a double threat, and I'm gonna I'm gonna protect him right now. I'm putting the arm around him. He needs to protect the end of it. It's fine. But yeah, I mean, no, Jello, you're, you're absolutely right. And it, you know, we've seen it time and time and time again with male actors. Um, obviously now with female actors where America is more open just to, to talent. Don't care where you're from or what you look like. Um, there's more accepting of, of awarding certain people. And yeah, I mean, we, we, I, I've been doing these IG lives at work with with black creators. I mean, we spoke to Neef, who is you know since I'm not just saying since he came on the pod, he's become award winning. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> the facts are the facts. You can read what you want into them. But uh, I spoke to him, and uh, recently I spoke to sort of Jay Perry who's coming on soon. And the fact is, it's yeah, she's she is a phenomenal talent, and and it's the first time. British audience have been exposed to different sides of blackness and people are like, wow, like fucking hell, is this, is this what people are like? Imagine that, what, we're in big, big 2021 and only now are people not seeing black people run away from the people on the bill. It's mad. So I'm eternally grateful that she's shown the new sides to us and that the world are appreciating it and that hopefully we're only going to see more of it Hopefully, I think she was the only. I think she was the first black. Black woman, or just black person. person. I th I think black person. Twenty twenty one, and we're still getting firsts, man. Like that's why I can't get too excited. Like about multiple, th multiple firsts. It's mad. It's absolutely mad. I did not expect to be seeing this at the the ripe old age of thirty, and this should have been done years ago. So yeah. I'm happy for her, but pff, fuck it, it should have happened anyway. We're going to spend um, over the next few months uh, some time on the pod talking about male mental health and quite specifically about black male mental health. And to give you an understanding of why we wanted to do this, I just wanted to read uh, just some uh, things that, that are true. So this was taken from 2017. In 2017, black men were 17 times more likely to be diagnosed with a mental health problem in the UK. In 2018, black men were 10 times more likely to have had a psychotic disorder in the UK. And they were four times more likely to be detained under the Mental Health Act. Those of you that have followed this pod know that uh, the topic of male mental health is something that has been something that we have talked about, something that we have lived right back from the very first episode that was held in the, in the cellar. Um, it's something that has been an ever-present. So what we wanted to do is really open this topic up. So if you are a, a black guy, um, if you are related to a black guy, if you know a black guy, 
which I, I think I've, I think that's all people. Um, but no, if you if if this is if this is a topic that has impacted on your life, we want to we want to hear from you. Um, in all seriousness, we want to hear from you because I was really um, taken by I think it's Thoreau, the Thoreau quote that um, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation, and this idea that whilst it's improving, um, we still as men are socialized to not be able to talk about stuff the 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 man up thing is you can see throughout literature um uh going back to the bible there's two words in the bible that people always laugh about jesus wept like all the emotions he gets two words about crying you know there's this idea of that so um and i want to kind of give some provocations um uh so the first provocation um, is we need to be able to walk and chew gum. If men are trash, which is a phrase that we are well aware of, how do we move past it? How do we as men move past it? But how do we as society enable men and black men in particular to move past it? Um, how do we do? How do we do? Uh, how do we embrace a more positive uh, mental health? in a society in which cancel culture is so prevalent that the second you try to improve yourself, you run the risk, if you live a life on social media, of being outed for something that you did before. So these are things that we wanted to kind of put to you, our uh, faithful listeners. We're obviously going to go away and do some work on it as well. Um, but yeah, we will be putting stuff out on our socials. Um, please do get in touch because this is a topic that, as I say, we want to go in depth on and maybe uh you know not maybe but definitely make some positive change on it um i want to throw it open to you guys anybody got any thoughts i want to start with dom i mean it, mental health it's i mean personally affected all of us this year and more importantly we lost one of our brothers this year from it um so there's a lot to unpack a hell of a lot to unpack and i think one of the things that i want to explore a little bit more when we're going through this segment over the, the coming weeks and episodes is you see Prince um, William and Gary Lineker and all these mental health ambassadors um, doing speeches on TV talking about men's mental health and whatnot. I feel like this is becoming much more prevalent, I want to say, with like more middle-class educated communities, but what about those people that come from the kind of places that we come from, that come from and live in estates and and mental health is still something which affects every single last one of them. But where is the recourse to actually do something about it? And I think those are the conversations that I find a bit more important than, than I don't know, a footballer coming out and saying it's, it's tough to be a footballer. I get it. I get it completely. But I think I really want to go down to the bare bones, go down to um, the real foundations and, and the kind of people that had the, the similar upbringings to, to myself and, and people like me. Um, and explore that a bit more deeply. Like, how can things improve for those kind of people? Um, because I think the broad strokes that it's getting at the moment, whilst it's very good and it's encouraging to see it being spoken about in so many different mediums, I don't necessarily think that that is doing what it needs to be, uh, that, that what needs to be done right now. If we think of it in terms of sports, so people do football training, people do rugby training, and it's only very recently, and people find it, people find it incredible. Up until like like four or five years ago, when they hear about sportsmen having mental coaches, 
when they hear about Johnny Wilkinson going through his mental process and that absolutely fascinated people. When you actually think about it, like why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you have any kind of coach? And it was seen as it was seen as a weakness. And that's that and that's when we're talking about uh, mentality in terms of performance. Like it was seen as a weakness. And I think it's a cultural thing because in America, like like I've got friends in America, like having therapy over there, like, I mean, it's a thing that wealthy people do, but it's seen, it's a very normal thing. It's like, I'm having a problem with this, so I need to start this out. I mean, Alana, like. I have a therapist, it's great. It is, I, if I could recommend anything to anyone to improve your life above anything else, it'd be go to therapy. Drink water, go to therapy. Sleep. Yeah, get sleep, yeah. It, <laughs> and it's, yeah, and it's a hugely cultural thing where I guess in the UK, I don't know, I can't speak for the rest of Europe, but it's seen as a weakness. And then. We don't like speaking. We don't like speaking. We can't speak to each other, never mind a stranger. We can't speak to each other. How, how can you expect to open up to a stranger? And I think mm. that's why we do struggle as Brits. And some people find it easier than others because whilst I'm British, I'm not British, mm. which is why I think I might find it easier to speak than Andy down the pub. Yeah. And 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 that's it for me. So that that's why I start with sport. Like people want like, oh, I can teach you how to pass all day long. Yeah, but can, what do I do when the press is on? And that that was a massive thing. And now people are starting to accept that. Okay, I need to coach that mentality. And as a man, like I, I I'm lucky that I've got a job where they give me like I'm able to access counselling. I've been there a year and a half. I did it for the first time, maybe three weeks ago. And I had, it's it's weird how they do it. I had one session with someone, and they're like, oh, do you want to do it? So I signed up, and she's like, well, why do you want this session? And uh, you know, I'm not afraid to say this. Like, basically, I said, "Well, I said my friend died in um, end of end of March. He died in April." And I was like, "And I don't feel like I've grieved this." And I was like, "And I don't know why." And she said, "Why did you say that?" I was like, "Well, because my auntie died, and she's like a second mum to me, and this was two years ago, and I had the same thing, and I remember breaking down once to cry when I wasn't expecting to when I saw my friend, and then nothing else happened, and I was like, what's wrong with me?'" And I went through that and she said, and then I, just, I sat and talked for an hour and a half. And the weird thing was, we just went back and back and back. And unfortunately, as it worked, I only had one session with that person. I was like, I just, but I'm just doing, I'm just starting now. And she's like, yeah, okay, well, <laughs> we need to do more sessions. And that's the way it works because it's an ongoing process. So the first time you do it, I was like, oh, well, I like, I need to keep doing this. I need to keep talking about this. I need to keep opening this up. And I think it's so important that, you, you bottle things up so tightly that when you finally like open up, you're like, oh, right, well, are you ready to listen? She's like, yeah, well, I mean, you, you pay me by the hour. But um, yeah, so I think it's important that like as, as someone who's just only just personally started that process, it's so important to start like first talk and then sort of begin to work on yourself. So uh, I think talking, like as Dom said, we don't talk at all about it at all. So if if we can talk about it for 15 minutes, 20 minutes every podcast, then hopefully you guys at home can do it and you can talk to your friends for 15, 20 minutes and then we're going to do some good. So I guess totally. uh yeah, that's that's that is the purpose of of this of this little segment. So thank you Angela for sort of introducing that for us. Um we're we're getting man banging on the door. Man banging on the doors and windows in the podcast studio. It, it's been great to talk to you all again. We'll be back very, very soon. Sooner than you think, guys. Sooner than you know. Cheers, Angelo. Take time. Cheers. Tech time. See you later.